As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. All right, time to add another country to the list of places I am not allowed to travel. This is Turkey, or Turkey-y, because they decided to change their name a few hours before I started recording this video. Anyway, Turkey, a simply stunning country filled with history, culture, and some of the most beautiful scenery you have ever seen. It's no surprise that up until recently, Turkey was one of the most popular tourist destinations in the world, which went a long way to fueling the massive economic growth the nation experienced between the year 2000 and the mid-2010s. If I was making this video just five years ago, I would be telling the story of an up-and-coming economic powerhouse that could geographically and culturally be the link between the riches of the Middle East and the advanced economic systems of Europe. Turkey is the 21st largest economy in the world by GDP and 11th when adjusted for purchasing power parity, which is why it's all the more concerning that severe economic and political mismanagement is threatening to unravel all the progress the country has made in the past two decades. For those of you who haven't been following the news, the country is currently experiencing extremely high levels of inflation, which is subjecting the citizens of the nation to almost daily price increases for products that they need to survive. The most unfortunate part of this entire ordeal is that it's almost entirely preventable, and a few simple measures could put it back on track to prosperity very quickly. But unfortunately, it looks like the government of the nation is unwilling to take these steps for a few important reasons. So why is the value of the Turkish lira falling so rapidly all of a sudden? What impacts will this inflation have on the country's economy? Why isn't the Turkish government taking the widely suggested steps to alleviate this issue? And finally, could this be a sign of things to come in our own economies? Once we have answered all of these questions, we can put Turkey on the Economics Explained National Leaderboard. Now, before we get into the inflation crisis in Turkey, I need to make the big disclaimer. This is an ongoing issue which is changing rapidly every day. Case in point, the country literally decided to change its name as I was writing the script. Although I'm still going to call it Turkey because I'm not entirely convinced that this isn't some kind of elaborate prank. Anyway, this is also a crisis with huge political stakes, which means that some announcements and even some economic figures could be more motivated by political power than the pursuit of accuracy. But with that out of the way, Turkey is no stranger to inflation. In the 1980s and the 1990s, the country experienced inflation rate spikes as high as 140%. The first spike was caused by the country loading up on foreign debt to fuel rapid growth during the 1970s. This caused the economy to effectively overheat while the government ran massive account deficits. The idea was that the country could just grow its way out of this debt by becoming an export powerhouse, which on the surface wasn't the worst idea ever. The problem was that the government was borrowing money in foreign currencies, which meant that these loans needed to be repaid in the same foreign currencies. This dangerous balancing act of living loan to loan came crashing down when oil prices skyrocketed during the mid-1970s. At this point, Turkey was heavily dependent on imported oil to keep its economy going, and it was only just keeping its head above water before this price hike. The government did its best to counter these issues with stimulus measures, but 
All it really did was devalue the currency, and because the nation's debts were primarily denoted in foreign currencies, it became harder and harder to repay these loans with domestic money, which was worth significantly less every day that passed. The country continued to struggle with inflation that hovered around 60% for the next two decades before establishing new mandates from the central bank in the early 2000s. Before this time, the Turkish central bank basically did what the government told them to do. If the government needed more money to finance infrastructure spending, the treasury would call the central bank and it would be more or less as simple as that. The reforms of 2001 changed up this status quo significantly. The headline issue was that the central bank's core mandate would be on price stability. It could also help the government with growth and employment, but only if that did not come at the expense of stable prices. There were also some other significant changes made, such as forbidding the central bank to buy government-issued bonds in primary markets. For reference, this is how the Treasury normally raises money in the United States, so banning this exchange was a big deal. It meant that if the government wanted to borrow money, it needed to borrow it from investors, who would likely be a lot more careful about how much they lent out, since they didn't have the advantage of being able to print more money if it never comes back to them. These reforms sent a message that Turkey was going to be on its best behaviour. No more double-digit inflation, no more defaults. After gaining this autonomy, the central bank went to work jacking up interest rates to as high as 100% for a brief period in an attempt to stabilise inflation. This also cut down on the amount of new cash being introduced into the economy and simultaneously made Turkey somewhere that people wouldn't mind putting their money. Unfortunately, there is not much a central bank can do to put the inflation genie back into the bottle once it's out. Decades of double-digit inflation meant that the lira's face value was extremely low. This by itself isn't normally a huge problem. The Japanese yen, for example, is still a perfectly acceptable currency, even though one yen is worth less than 1% of one American dollar. It's just that in Turkey's case, the difference was too severe. It made it difficult to transact internationally, and it also gave the currency somewhat of a negative stigma. If someone hands you a $10 million note, you are instinctively not going to take it very seriously. To solve this issue, Turkey released the new lira in 2005, which was exchangeable for the old lira at a rate of 1 to 1 million respectively. This new monetary stability, alongside relative political stability, was what allowed the nation to grow so rapidly in the past two decades. Turkey does not have huge reserves of oil or gas. It does have some oil fields, but they are small and don't even meet the demand of the country itself. As such, Turkey is a net importer of fossil fuels. While this means that the country misses out on easy oil riches, we have seen time and time again that this can actually be a blessing in disguise. It removes the temptation to just become an oil state. It also means that Turkey's growth was built upon more sustainable industries that added value beyond pumping or digging stuff out of the ground. Turkey is part of a customs union with the EU, which has meant that it has been able to trade freely and receive investment from countries within Europe. Because of this, it has built out a strong industrial base in a short amount of time. It has a surprisingly large automotive industry where it's able to combine its comparatively cheap yet highly skilled workforce with its geographic proximity to major markets in the Middle East and Europe. It has also up until recently been a major tourist hotspot. In 2019, it welcomed 51 million international tourists, which puts it ahead of places like Mexico, Thailand, Germany and even the UK. Tourism is a fantastic industry because it literally amounts to people flying into a country, spending piles of money and then flying out again. It doesn't rely on depletable resources and it doesn't even require trade deals. 
it's easy to see why Turkey was such a popular destination too. It has amazing historical sites, breathtaking natural beauty, good travel infrastructure, and it's relatively affordable. It's also a popular way for Western tourists to experience Middle Eastern culture and customs without stepping too far outside of their comfort zone or too far into regions that are perceived to be dangerous, whether that perception be true or not. So Turkey had a lot going for it. A great geographic position, developing industrial and tourism sectors, all backed up by a self-governing currency that was seemingly under careful control. The government had also overseen this growth while doing a very good job of avoiding debt. Whether it be through fiscal discipline or whether it be through self-imposed borrowing restrictions it placed on itself, Turkish national debt has stayed well below 50% of GDP since the early 2000s. So where did this all go wrong? The current issues that the nation is facing really got started around five years ago. In 2014, Recep Erdogan was elected president running on a platform of conservative populism. He is also shown to be a supporter of the ideals of Islamic finance. A brief rundown of this system is that typical interest-bearing assets are forbidden because they are deemed by the faith as usury. To kind of skirt around these rules, Islamic banks will set up savings accounts where depositors share in the profits of the bank and borrowers will rent to own the assets that they buy. If you wanted a mortgage, for example, the bank would buy the house that you are interested in and then you would rent it from them at an inflated rental price for 30 years until one day the bank would agree to just give you the house. Some say this is just interest by another name, some say this is a very important way to make sure interest recipients have a shared interest in the underlying asset, I'll leave that one up to the comments section to work out. For now the details aren't important and all you need to take away from this is that interest is bad in the eyes of Turkey's president. This has become important because starting in 2017, Turkey discovered that it might have a bit of a problem on its hands. While government borrowing has been very modest, the private sector has been taking on more and more debt to capitalise on the rapid growth of the nation. All of the new industries that we just looked at needed to be financed, but the new highly regulated central bank was very tight-fisted with its new currency. This led many large institutions to simply borrow money from countries like Germany and the UK, which had the added benefit of attracting much lower interest rates. Like all highly leveraged positions, the good times in Turkey were great. This private sector borrowing created tremendous wealth very quickly. But like all highly leveraged positions, the bad times are terrible. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
These issues came to a head in 2016 when Turkey's bid to upgrade itself from a trading partner of the EU to a fully-fledged EU member state was overwhelmingly knocked back, primarily due to human rights concerns centred around the country's new president. This made foreign financial institutions think twice before lending money and tourists think twice before planning a holiday. As these revenue sources dried up, a lot of private companies started closing because they were unable to meet their debt obligations. This was made worse by the lira's price dropping drastically, making the loans denoted in foreign currency comparatively more expensive. The government's solution to this was to raise interest rates and introduce austerity measures to get their currency back on track. And this worked, but at great cost. The unemployment rate in the nation skyrocketed to 14%, which was the highest it had been since the introduction of the new currency. These heightened interest rates did help the large companies trying to pay back their foreign debts. It did this by making the lira more valuable in foreign exchange markets, meaning the foreign currency debts were comparatively less expensive. But it also hurt the average Turk, who now had to compete in the hardest job market of their professional careers. Erdogan won his election on a populist platform, and many saw his interest rate increase in 2018 as a way to save large debt-riddled companies by sacrificing the common man. This issue came back with a vengeance in 2020, as the companies that survived the first debt crisis were now facing the economic implications of the coronavirus. Remember, Turkey is heavily dependent on heavy manufacturing and tourism, two industries which have been almost put on hold in the past two years. Once again, companies were trying to service their foreign debts, which was driving down the value of the currency in foreign exchange markets. The central bank initially raised interest rates in an attempt to keep this currency devaluation under control, but President Erdogan had other ideas. He has told the central bank to lower interest rates and has fired a series of central bank chairmen for failing to do so. He is convinced that a less valuable lira in foreign exchange markets is actually a good thing because it will artificially make Turkish exports more competitive as they recover from the impacts of global lockdowns. This isn't actually a totally illogical train of thought. Many countries, most prominently China, have played an active role in devaluing their own currencies because they know it makes their goods cheaper in foreign markets. The problem is that Turkey also relies heavily on imports for things like fuel, food and fertiliser. The currency devaluation has meant that many small businesses and farms are simply not able to afford import goods that they need to keep their businesses going. The unfortunate irony is that wealthy institutions have access to financial instruments like futures to mitigate risk exposure to currency fluctuations. Wealthy Turks with savings have also moved their cash into American dollars or euros, further accelerating the decline of the lira's price. This meant that once again, it is the working class and small businesses that are feeling most of the pain of this latest crisis. So if this strategy is clearly not working, why not just raise the interest rates again? Well, there is probably a bit of political motivation to this. Remember, Turkey may have a secularist constitution, but its leader is still a strong believer in Islam and Islamic finance, so interest is bad. Raising interest rates would also look like admitting defeat at this point, since the government has pushed the idea that the country can grow its way out of this issue, rather than resorting to austerity like it did in 2018. The real shame amongst all of this is that it's totally unnecessary. Turkey has a very solid foundation. It's got a good workforce of young and highly skilled citizens, it's not over-reliant on one industry, and during periods of stability it has demonstrated a clear ability to grow rapidly. 
But all of the poor decisions that led it to where it is now are likely going to look insignificant compared to a new plan the government just unveiled. Turkish banks are well aware of the hesitancy of their customers to have savings in Turkish lira. Even with incredibly high interest rates on offer, most people just don't trust the stability of the currency. It's important to remember that while inflation has improved in the past two decades, it's still hovering around 8%. For comparison, a lot of economists are freaking out about the idea that the US could experience a 6% inflation rate over the next two years. It's because of this that most Turkish banks offer US dollar accounts for people to save their money. This is how most of the wealthy people that we mentioned earlier exchange their money away from the lira. The deposits in these accounts do not attract the sky-high interest rates of the lira-based accounts, but for most wealthy Turks, that's a sacrifice they are willing to make for the relative stability of the dollar. The problem this causes is that over time, people will just start to use American dollars exclusively, meaning that Turkey will lose its monetary autonomy. For some small countries, this is fine. For example, Monaco is not part of the EU, but it still uses the Euro. The autonomy such a small country would get from minting its own currency is just not worth the cost involved in doing it and getting it recognised. For a country like Turkey, however, this would be very bad news. It would not be able to set its own interest rates and would therefore lose a significant amount of control over economic growth and employment. A country with ambitions of being in the global top 10 is going to need its own currency. To combat this dollarization, the government has announced plans to introduce a new type of savings account which will protect borrowers from headline inflation. The account would work like this. Any money deposited into the account will attract the central bank's cash rate, at this point 14%, and then at the end of a fixed period the Turkish treasury will pay out an additional amount equal to the value lost due to inflation. If, for example, you deposit 1,000 lira for 12 months, you would receive 140 lira in interest over those 12 months, assuming this is only compounded annually for simplicity's sake. If the value of the lira halved in that time, then the treasury would award you an additional 1,000 lira so that the value of your holdings relative to the American dollar remains the same. It's unusual, but desperate times call for desperate measures. On the surface, this looks to be a pretty inspired idea. The government guarantee effectively amounts to a higher interest rate without needing to call it a higher interest rate. In our example from earlier, you would be able to achieve the same thing by offering 114% APR on savings. But if you just call it a government guarantee instead, then you don't need to look at big scary numbers. Besides the marketing spin, this could also encourage many Turks to trade in their American dollars, which generate little to no interest, for inflation guaranteed lira, which offer a 14% interest rate. This trading should push up the value of the lira in foreign exchange markets, making regular imports more affordable once again. Initially, it kind of looks like this has worked. The value of the Turkish lira jumped over 50% following the announcement of these new accounts, but that's about where the good news ends. A few sceptical journalists pointed out that this increase in the value of the Turkish lira coincided with a significant drop in Turkey's foreign currency reserves. What this might suggest is that the government bought up its own currency in an attempt to make it look like this policy decision had more of an impact on public perception than it really did. Of course, this development is still unfolding, so it's hard to say for certain that this is what's happened, but it's also very difficult to see an alternative explanation. Anyway, the world's most expensive publicity stunt is really not the big issue here. What is the problem is the debt burden this could expose the country to. Let's suppose that Turkish citizens do take up this offer en masse, 
and then the lira continues to fall due to monetary mismanagement, the treasury could be on the hook to pay hundreds of billions of dollars. This would force the government to do one of two things. The first option would be just to default on this promise to top up bank accounts in line with inflation. This would obviously be extremely politically unpopular, so the government would probably go with option two, which is breaking the rule of not directly borrowing money from the Turkish central bank. There is no other way that the government could get access to enough cash to cover this promise in the event that people do actually take up the offer and inflation continues at its current rate. The government has exposed itself to a significant potential liability here which could quickly turn the current situation, which is a serious but easily treatable problem, into something that could push Turkey towards a fate like Argentina or Venezuela. If I was making this video five years ago, I would be telling a very different story about Turkey. If I was making videos five years ago, I would have told a very different story about Venezuela. Okay, now it's time to put Turkey on the Economics Explained national leaderboard. Starting with size, Turkey is one of the largest economies in the world, which is part of the reason why it's getting so much attention in the news. A GDP of $720 billion in 2020 means it gets a 7 out of 10. GDP per capita is about what you'd expect for a developing country facing the issues that we have explored in this video. It's down from a peak of $12,600 in 2013 to $8,500 today. It gets a 5 out of 10. Stability and confidence. Well, what is there to say? Even over the past two decades of relatively controlled inflation and strong growth, the country is not what you would call a safe haven. Political tensions and a perceived inability to manage a crisis means that most institutions want as little to do with Turkey as they can possibly manage. It gets a 2 out of 10. Growth is also poor. I might sound like a broken record at this point, but if I was making this video 5 years ago, I would have given the country a 10 out of 10, as the economy had more than quadrupled in size since the year 2000. Unfortunately, it's 2021, and we measure growth over the past 10 years. Turkey is down from where it was in 2011, so it gets a 0 out of 10. Finally, industry. This is the real tragedy here because Turkey is fundamentally a solid economy. There is no reason that Turkey couldn't be a wildly successful trading power in the region. It has a healthy and diverse industrial sector, but unfortunately these industries have been the victim of poor macro management, so for now it gets a 5 out of 10. Altogether, this gives Turkey an average score of 3.8 out of 10. <sighs> yeah, well, we all knew this one wasn't going to be good. But you know what is good? 